You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning and welcome to City Church. Like Alex mentioned earlier, my name is Hunter Levine and I'm the SALT director here at City Church, which means that I get the opportunity to work with the college students who call this church home that we believe have been strategically placed right here in Tallahassee to do great work on the campuses of TCC, Florida State, and FAMU. This morning, I'm excited to talk with you about what it looks like for us as a church to reach and to make investments in the next generation. Because our desire is to see stories just like Daniel's story happen right here in our church family again and again and again. And so if you have your guidebook, you can go ahead and turn to page 52 for today's sermon notes. If you don't have a guidebook, uh, we'd love for you to grab one. They're in the back of the auditorium. They're also out in our lobby at the Let's Go uh, uh, counter out there. And we're in week three of a series called Let's Go, but it's more than just a series because this is what we as a church are hoping to see happen over the next two years of ministry. And as you turn there, I want to kind of ask this, kind of put this before you, but how are we going to make the greatest impact as a church community for the kingdom of God? It's a question that we ask ourselves a lot here at City Church. How can we use what God has entrusted us with to make the greatest kingdom impact possible? And I genuinely believe one of the greatest ways that we can be for the gospel and for the city in Tallahassee and beyond is by raising up the next generation of laborers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church just turned 15 years old. It's amazing to think about all the things that God has done here at City Church. I came during the first year as a 16-year-old student. I used to joke that our youth ministry back then was me and two friends pretending to be college kids. And by God's grace, it's come a long way. Um, but when we think about this, like this church was not simply started to create great services to come to. Although we have amazing services to come to on Sunday mornings, Tuesday nights, and Wednesdays where we can sing God's truth together and be led by an amazing band and we can study God's word together and we can enjoy these environments. I mean, we certainly have great services here at City Church, but it wasn't started just to have great services. It wasn't just started to create amazing environments for children and teens and college students, although we love seeing kids run through these church doors and, and have a place to have fun. And I love my daughters waking up in the morning and being excited to come to church, and we love that. But it wasn't just started so that they could have a, a good church experience that they enjoyed. Our college students don't gather on Tuesday nights and in city groups just to build relationships and to have community in a really challenging, struggling time of life, although we love that our college students can make relationships that last a lifetime here. People that for the rest of their life they'll call and they'll have great relationships with that point them to Jesus Christ. This church was planted to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring an everlasting truth to an ever-changing culture. And that the people that make up this church would participate in the work of ministry. So when I'm dropping off my kids in the morning and they're so excited to to go back to their classrooms and there's music playing and the energy's amazing, I'm not just dropping my kids off in a room filled with two-year-olds. I'm dropping my kids off in a room filled with the next generation of leaders who can take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. 
And when our middle school and high school students gather here on Wednesday night and they work with the the next-gen team, they're not just coming together and having a great time. They're understanding what does it mean to place your faith in Jesus Christ and find your identity in him. In a season of life in middle school and high school where identity is one of the biggest questions that they're wrestling with, they get a chance to do that with the desire that they would identify as a child of God who works unto him for the rest of their life. And as our college students gather on Tuesday night, they're not just coming together to have a good time. They're coming to actually learn what does it look like for me to leverage the rest of my life as a future worker and father and mother and friend and neighbor for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christian culture, we often share our favorite Bible verse in different settings and do things like put it in our social media bios. It's just kind of like one of those things that people do to break the ice. What's your favorite Bible verse or what's your life verse? And nothing wrong with that, but here at City Church, we have a least favorite verse. We have a verse that haunts us here at City Church. It's Judges chapter 2, verse 10, looking at God's people in the Old Testament. It says this, that whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. And it says this, and this haunts our church. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Think about that. The importance of the next generation and that verse for us as a church, that that reminds us of the significance of what we're doing in children's ministry, in youth ministry, in college ministry and beyond. And as much as we love to consider ourselves competent leaders here at, at City Church, this desire to reach the next generation, it didn't come from a meeting where there was a whiteboard and we were talking about what are we going to put our focus on. It didn't come from us. It comes from God's word. It's been shaped by the scriptures. This is what we see, the significance of continuing to reach the next generation with the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 1002. It's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Maybe you've noticed this logo on the shirt that I have as you kind of walked around City Church, or maybe you've seen it in the past. This is 1002. This is a verse that has meant so much to our church because I think it helps us understand how we are to see the world and how we are to think about the next generation. So in this context, Jesus, he's in his earthly ministry, and we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus has gathered his disciples. And one of the things that Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's actually helping train and equip them because the disciples are actually the next generation of leaders after Jesus is going to go to the cross, he's going to die on the cross, he's going to resurrect, that's Easter, and then he's going to ascend to heaven. And Jesus knows that his disciples are going to be the people that he is going to give the torch and say, take this torch to the next generation and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, one of the things he's doing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is he's actually watching God himself in the flesh actually train and disciple and lead up the next generation. And there's this moment in Luke chapter 10 that I think is important for us to understand as we think about this together as a church. And it says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them out ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we think about what it looks like for us to be a church that loves and makes great investments in the next generation, there's a few things that I want us to consider. The first thing is this. We need to understand that God's mission field is abundant. Some translations say plentiful. Some translations say abundant. But God's mission field is abundant. 
I don't know what your childhood was like. I lived in a really, really rural setting all the way up till five. And then I moved to the booming metropolis of Crestview, Florida in the Panhandle. And so I, I spent my elementary years in Crestview, Florida. And we didn't have a lot of things. There was one roller rink that everybody would have their, their birthday parties at. And so as a kid, we'd have to kind of entertain ourselves. And one of the things that we would do as kids is we would play the classic age-old game, look at the clouds with our friends, and then see, say what you see. Ask, what do you see? It's kind of like the child version of like therapy ink spots. And so we would do that, right? We'd say, I see this, I see this. And you'd ask your buddy, what do you see here? Here's a question I want to ask. When you look at, out at the world around you, when you look out at the next generation, what do you see? That question's very important to us because here's how we often talk about the next generation in conversations. We say things like, you want to know what's wrong with the next generation? Do you want to know what's the problem with kids these days? All they want to do is blank. Have you seen the way they blank? Fill in the blank. We're always saying negative things because we live in a teardown culture that's highly critical. That's highly critical. It seems like every new documentary on Netflix is either some sort of murder case or something criticizing some sort of something else. We're surrounded by it. Often politics these days isn't even about what someone will do. It's just criticizing someone else on both sides. We live in a highly critical culture. And so often when it comes to reaching the next generation, people want to talk about here's the problem. But I want us to understand this. Jesus does not point us to the problem of the field in this passage, but rather the plentifulness of the field. The plentifulness This does not mean that we ignore issues and challenges. It's not what I'm saying. We don't ignore the the problems and the struggles that this generation and the next generation face. I'm not saying that we ignore them. But rather that those challenges that they're experiencing would actually put a burden in our hearts and not be a barrier for us knowing them and loving them and investing our lives into them. In Acts 17, the um, Apostle Paul is walking through the city of Athens and The city of Athens was a really challenging place to do ministry, and they had a lot of different uh, religions and gods, and it was a group of people really dedicated to trying to just do whatever would be fun and enjoyable and pleasurable in the moment. And, And the Apostle Paul is walking through Athens, and he's seeing this, and his first instinct is not to criticize. It's not to tear it down. It's not to say, you know what the problem with people in Athens is? His primary emotion is an emotion of burden for these people. It says he's burdened for them to know the Lord. And for him, Paul had the burden to know them, the people of Athens, so that he could love them and serve them and help them understand what it means to follow Jesus. And it's critical for us to see the world, to see our neighborhoods, to see our friendships and families and children and workplaces and the campuses here in Tallahassee this way for gospel work. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we have a burden for the next generation rather than just thinking about the problems and allowing those problems to become a barrier? The key is understanding and remembering the power of the gospel. If you come here to City Church, you're going to hear that word every single week. I've been coming here 15 years. Never once has that word not been talked about and said on a Sunday morning. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this, that although we sinned and rebelled against God, and therefore had separation against God, that Jesus, through his perfect life, through his death on the cross, in our place, has made a way for us to be restored. That's the gospel. 
And the gospel is not that one generation can be better than the next. The gospel is not about how things used to be in your generation. The gospel is not about the hope of the next generation. The gospel is solely about Jesus' work and how it's sufficient for all generations. And so that has to be at the heart of what we do in order to have a burden for the people that God has placed before us. And to remember that no generation, no person, no group of people are too far for the work of Christ. His power is sufficient. So the first thing for us to understand is this, that God's mission field is abundant. The second thing is this, that God's mission field needs faithful laborers. Look at the text. It says, but the laborers are few. When it comes to raising up the next generation of disciples, so often uh, we just think about them avoiding sin. We think often about what we want to keep them from. And and as a parent and, and as a leader here in the church, I understand that's, that is a good thing to think about and desire. We want to keep them from certain sin. We want to keep them from certain pain. But it's more than that too. Because when we see the scriptures, what we see is not just about what we keep them from or keep them from participating in, but more what we send them to. How we equip them and send them out. So it's not just about, oh, I hope our kids don't go to parties or do this thing or live this way, but, but actually I, I hope that the next generation of, of kids from City Church are sent out as missionaries who see all of their life as unto the Lord. This is the call to be a faithful laborer, to not avoid, to not pull away, but to actually do work in the field where God has us. And this impacts all areas of our life. In talking to the college students earlier this year, Uh, about a similar thing, I I talked about how this just removes all of the just sentences in our life. And what I mean by that is when you understand that your life, all areas, all things that we do are unto the Lord, now all of a sudden you no longer just go to work. You don't just go to work. You don't just work somewhere. You're not just a mom. You're not just a student. You're not just a child. You don't just live in your neighborhood that you live in. You don't just participate in the activities you participate. Now all of a sudden, there's a certain level of importance that's placed on it because we know that all of our life is meant to be lived unto the Lord as faithful laborers. And I want to say this in a world that's constantly searching for value. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our world today, we're, we're constantly trying to search for value. And we ask questions like, where do you work? Or, or we, we look for how much money we can make. Or we look for a title at a position. Or we look for a certain amount of followers on social media. And we're just looking for value, oftentimes, is really what we're looking for. And when it comes to our life, I I want you to understand this. The value of what we do does not come from how the world sees it. It comes from it being done unto the Lord. All of it. So even in the quiet, small moments of your life, when those things are done unto the Lord, there's a huge value placed on that. When you're tucking your, your, your children in at night, and you're just trying to just get them to stay in their rooms and not keep coming out and coming out and interrupting you, and, you just, and you're tucking them in, you're, you're reading them a story, and they start to fall asleep, and maybe you just say one of those prayers that parents often say, and you start praying for your kids. That's not just another night with your kids. There's a value in being a mother, a father who loves their children. When you're a college student and you're, you're walking through your campus and you see things and you start to, you start to pray, You're not just walking the class. 
the value that we participate in is it comes from being done unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about your job, your family, your neighborhood, the car you drive, the amount of followers you have on social media, even if you have social media, it doesn't matter what the world thinks, but it's about us using our lives and leveraging all that we have unto the Lord. And in order for us to, to raise up a generation that's gonna do that well, it requires skills. We have to actually equip them and teach them how to do these things. And one of the things that as a father that I've learned from raising kids is I've learned how much work my parents really had to do to teach me things that I take for granted. If you're in this room and you've ever helped a kid learn to tie a shoe, you realize it's like trigonometry hard to do that. Like seriously, it feels like it takes years to teach a kid how to tie a simple knot. And so as a parent now that I'm raising my kids, it's showing me all the things that my parents had to teach me and show me. And one of the things when I was 16 years old, um, I got my first boat. It, it's called a GNU. It's like a canoe and it has a little motor on it. And as a 16-year-old boy, I was just through the moon, excited about this boat. My dad was really intense. He's a really intense guy. So, so he would want to teach me everything so that I could know how to handle it. So he'd want to teach me how to back the trailer, how to work on the motor. He'd want to teach me certain things with safety in case this goes wrong, that goes wrong. So we have all these lessons. He even taught me how to change a tire, which is actually really easy to do. But I will say there's a little bit of an art to changing a tire to look good in front of ladies that you have to learn you know make it look difficult you know wipe the sweat off your forehead but he would like show me and teach me all of these things because it was important for him that I knew how to boat safely and boat well and hunting and fishing was a big part of my dad's life and my family's life and so he wanted it to be a part of mine so he showed me and walked alongside of me and taught me those things and maybe for you, that's, that's not what it is, but we all have those things that a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a grandmother, somebody that we love spent the time to walk alongside of us and show us how to do all the little things. Now I want to ask, how much more important is this than all of that? And this is the greatest thing that we could ever teach our children and the children that call this church home and the kids that we do ministry with here at City Church is what it means to be a faithful worker in God's field. That's what we want to do. We don't just want them to avoid sin. We want to send them into the world to be great faithful workers in God's harvest. So what does this look like? I think Paul gives a great example in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. I'll let you turn there. But the church of Corinth, much like Athens, was struggling a lot with what it looked like for them to be faithful missionaries in a city that was really challenging. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he actually lays out a lot of this and helps them understand this is what it looks like to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he says this, and I think this helps us understand this is what we can aim for for the next generation is this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not vain. Think about this verse. Look at this. Steadfast and immovable. You are pursuing Jesus Christ. You are pursuing to be faithful to him. And in a world that is always shifting and people are being tossed around from different ideologies and different worldviews and different opinions and people are being crippled by, the, by trying to have the approval of others and all these things in our world where people are being thrown around, I want you to be steadfast and immovable in it. That's a great faithful laborer. 
abounding in the work, leveraging their life for the gospel. And this doesn't just mean overseas work. This doesn't just mean church staff work. This is, this is actually to all Christians in the city of Corinth. So regardless of where your, your job is, all of our work is unto the Lord to be laborers for him, always abounding in it, pushing through, not just being fair weather laborers, not just being laborers when it's easy, but being laborers who are abounding in the work and knowing that it's not in vain. And even when we don't see the fruits, even when we don't see the fruits, maybe even especially when we don't see the fruits, understanding that our faithfulness is what really matters. God will take care of the fruit. He calls us to be faithful. That's our focus. And so the second thing is this, that that God's mission field needs faithful laborers who live their lives unto him that see all of their lives as being meaningful and significant in God's work and in God's mission. The third thing is that God's mission field is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to participate. Earlier this fall in SALT, our college ministry, I asked the question that the first Tuesday that we gathered together, what comes to mind when you think about your faith? And if we were to go around and to ask a lot of different questions, uh, a lot of different Christians, that question, what comes to mind when you think about faith, we would get a lot of different answers. And a lot of them would be good and a lot of them would be right. Like, so you could ask somebody, what comes to mind when you think about your Christian faith? And they would say something like, well, I think about how I'm saved in Christ. And they almost think of their faith as kind of like this parachute that saves them. And, and the truth is that we are saved in Christ. We are secure in him. Our eternity is changed forever because of what Jesus has done. Our faith does save us. But it doesn't just do that. Now you might talk to other people and they might almost talk about their faith as somewhat of a supplement and talk about how it's helped them grow and it's helped them be a better man or a better woman or a better worker, husband, father, neighbor. And it does. Our faith allows us to be better men and women for God. And it get, the Bible is filled with wisdom that helps us to live life well. But it doesn't just do that. You talk to some people, they almost talk about it like a nice calming cup of tea, you know. My, my faith just brings me so much peace. And it does bring us peace in a world filled with anxiety. Our faith can allow us to have a peace, the Bible says, that surpasses all understanding of what we have in Christ. But it doesn't just do that. Because our faith doesn't just give us salvation. It doesn't just give us supplementation. It doesn't just give us peace. Our faith also gives us a job. It gives us work. It's probably the most overlooked aspect for many Christians in the Western world today is how our faith actually gives us a job title as a faithful laborer. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Jesus accomplished the work of salvation but invites us into the work of his mission. So when we work unto the Lord, we don't do it to earn favor. We don't do it to earn our salvation because Jesus Christ in his perfect life and his death on the cross and his work, we place our faith in him. We are saved in him and through him alone. He has fully accomplished the work of salvation. But we are invited into the work of his mission as he continues to draw others to him, as he continues to lift up the gospel to a world that is hurting and needs it. And it's a privilege. In our passage, we we see two main calls that we're gonna look at this morning. The first is a call to the work of prayer. That prayer can be about our needs, but is so much more than that because as we can come before the Lord and acknowledge, Father, we are dependent on you and we're pleading for you to continue to raise up laborers for this world. 
That's one of the, 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 the amazing things about prayer is it reminds us of our dependence upon the Lord as we submit to him and we come to him and we bring our needs in front of him. But Jesus isn't just asking for us to bring our needs before him. He's saying, will you pray for the mission and the work that's before you? So come and pray to the Lord that he would raise up laborers for the harvest. And the second thing we see is a call to go, to go out. A few weeks ago, we got a chance to see Nate and Abby Linquist's video about them moving to Michigan and helping start a church in the SALT Network. That's why we're a part as a church of the SALT Network in Michigan, so that Lord willing, one day, 15 years from now, they'd be having a conversation that our church is having. How do we do even more? So that college students in Michigan would hear about Jesus Christ and the hope and the peace that's actually found in him and that they would be won over to Christ. There's this going aspect that we're called to, supporting missionaries. We've had college students get married and move to places like East Asia and Africa and Europe. Even in Daniel's video, the young man that, that baptized him, Kevin Brand, he's preparing right now to go be a missionary overseas. But it's not just missionaries overseas. This call extends to all of us to go, to leverage our life. Look at what he says in verse three. I love this because he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, verse two. Then boom, he comes in with this in verse three. He says, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Can you imagine being a disciple in this moment? You're like, um, and Jesus, yeah, that sounds good. I really liked what you first said there in verse two. That really hit me. That resonated with me a lot. Uh, I'm not sure about the lamb and the wolf thing and me going. I'm more of a prayer team guy. Okay, I was thinking maybe every other Tuesday I could gather with some folks and we could pray that other people would go and, and live this way, if that's okay. Now, I'm not taking anything away from people who are on prayer teams. Thank God, I'm so grateful for you. And God uses that. That's an amazing thing. But there's this interesting thing in verse two where it's like pray that the Lord would raise up more laborers and you think the disciples, yes, Lord, raise those laborers up, please, yes. And then verse three, he goes, now go. Oh, Me? I was just praying for someone else to live that way. But we see that the call is not just to pray, but to also go. And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. Look at what he says next. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter first, say peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house when you enter any town and they welcome you. Eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as witnesses against you. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but Jesus is sending them out. And he's saying, go, go live amongst them, go eat with them, go talk with them, go spend time with them and tell them about the kingdom of God. Lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't sugarcoat, some people are gonna reject you. You're going out like, like lambs among wolves. It's not gonna be easy. That doesn't, that doesn't bring up nice, beautiful imagery. It's hard work that we're called to, but it's worth it. It's worth it. That's what we have to focus on. Not how hard the work is, but who is calling us to the work. 
one of the biggest challenges I think we experience is often we come to know the Lord and maybe we want to know him more so that we can grow and have comfort in that and study our, our Bibles. But if we're honest, a lot of times we treat this life like a waiting room, just waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm so grateful that I'm in him. I'm just waiting for him to return one day. And we do long and we do wait for him to return, but we're not in a waiting room. We're workers in a mission field. That's what Jesus is trying to show. Use your life, use your meals, use your conversations, use your neighborhoods, use your workplaces, use your families as places to do the work of ministry. And yes, there will be challenges. And yes, there will be pain. And yes, there will be rejection. And not everybody will accept you. And not everybody will love you. And not everybody will think you're smart and you're great and you're savvy. But but Jesus didn't send us out to win a popularity contest. He sent us out to do the work of ministry. And it's worth it. Now here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to do that work alone. We get to participate in that together as a church. Last time I was up here, I talked about one of my jobs in, in, um, in high school was putting up T-post fencing. So I would go out to this big, large property that, that I was working for, and I'd go just put out fencing all day long. And that sounds really cool when you're in high school and you're talking to people and you're like, yeah, man, my, you know, my job is I put out fence. You know, you heard that Luke Bryan song? Yeah, just like me. That was about me, you know. Sounds really cool until, you know, you're doing it. But the worst part about putting up fencing when I was in high school, that particular job, it wasn't that it was outside because I like being outside. And if you can't tell, I don't sit. I'm not very good at sitting down. I'm not really wired well at sitting down. That wasn't the hardest part. I, to be honest with you, the hardest part in that job was just being alone for like six, seven, eight hours a day. And don't get me wrong, I got kids and I love being alone sometimes. But doing that work day in and day out alone with nobody else there was brutal. And you know what? The beautiful thing with this work that's set before us is we get to do it together. First and foremost, we get to do it with the Lord. The same Lord that saved us didn't put us on the sideline. He's brought us into the mission field. And as we serve and as we live, we get to do this with him. But this other beautiful thing that God gives us is not just himself. He gives us each other, the church. We're able to invest in the next generation together. We're able to live on mission here in Tallahassee together. We get to do this work together. So as we think and we talk and we pray through let's go, let's remember two things as a church. First and foremost, the scope of the field that God has set before us. There are 70,000 college students in Tallahassee. And most of them won't stay here. They're going to move to different cities, different countries, different continents to go do and use the things that they learned on these college universities. Could you think of a more strategic place to reach the world in the college campus, where people are coming to us to prepare to be sent out to the world. The question is, are we gonna invest in them and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ or not? They're going. Every year, graduation, they're going. They're getting sent. As you drive through, drop your kids off at middle school or high school or elementary school, and you see all these kids running around and they're doing the latest TikTok dance and they're having fun, they're here. The next generation is right here. The field is abundant. Rather than just focusing on the problems, let's focus on the plentifulness of what the Lord has right in front of us. Even as we read through Luke 10 and encourages people to go visit people and have meals with people, there's a lot of challenges that, that our world experiences, but there has never been a more easier time than right now to schedule a meal with somebody, regardless of how busy they pretend to be. 
what a time to be a part of this mission field, to be a part of this work, to know people and to love people. So as we close our time together, I want to ask you to pray through how you can be better leveraging your life for the harvest. And just because I work on college staff here at City Church doesn't mean I'm not wrestling with the same question. Because when we see the harvest, when we see the world around us as plentiful, it spurs us to generosity. Not just financial, but financial, but also with our time, with, with how we invest in people, wanting to know people, mentor people, see people reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we do even more so that we could see more stories like Daniel's again and again and again? And Lord willing, God would continue to allow us to be a part of what he's doing right here in Tallahassee. We're gonna sing another song together, but before that, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to gather this morning as a church and to study your word and to think about how not only do you save us, Lord, but you invite us to the work of your mission. And Father, I pray that you would help this church to always put that first. Father, I pray that you would help us to to not put our eyes on ourselves, to become self-consumed, but Father, that we would look out into the world around us, we'd look at the next generation, and we would be burdened to help them understand you. Father, we're so grateful for how you've worked in this church, for how you've continued to save people, Father, and to raise up laborers right here in Tallahassee. And we ask that you continue to do it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.